I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP Show. My intention is that you listen to the stories of these MVP guests and are inspired to become an MVP and bring value to the world through your skills. If you have not checked it out already, I do a YouTube series called How to Become an MVP. The link is in the show notes. With that, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from the United States. He's an ERP delivery director. His first awarded as MVP in 2023. He's a Microsoft certified trainer, Dynamics AX, and D365 FNO business transformation leader specializing in manufacturing and supply chain. You can find links to his bio, show notes uh, is where you'll find those on the episode of this podcast. Welcome to the show, Andrew, or do you prefer Drew? I, I guess I would prefer Drew. I've always been known as Drew to close friends and family. And then it was funny when I got to my most recent employee, there was another Drew. So it became a battle of the who's Drew number one and who's Drew number two. Uh, so whichever you feel comfortable with, I won't be offended. Nice, nice. I always like to kick off with food, family, and friends. Um, do you know what? Food, family, and friends. No, that's not what I normally do. I normally say food, family, and fun, but I said friends at time because you mentioned friends. So um, anyhow, food, family, friends, and fun, what do they mean to you? Sure. I, they, I guess, would mean a little bit of everything. I'm the dad of two young kids, so all of those things kind of revolve around the two of them. Uh, and we like to say they're in the age of, of beige. It's a lot of brown and beige type foods on their plates, not a lot of exploration and uh, creativity there so their their kind of food life is a little bit boring it was funny my wife and i we got thai food last night ourselves they didn't want anything to do with it they were eating like pizza and bread or whatever but uh yeah they're the most of my time i would say and then there's work after that but it, they're at a good fun age my son's almost six and my daughter's about a year and a half so they they keep my hands full for sure I bet, I bet. I know, I know what that's like. I've got my, I got one daughter turning three this week, and I've got a son that's uh, happy birthday, about one and one and four months. So, yeah, young. Uh, so I know what you mean. They take your time, um, and they certainly, they certainly do that. How how did you get into IT? What was that career path for you that brought you up to where you are today? Accidentally, I would say maybe I didn't really know what I wanted to do coming out of university in the U.S. fully. Uh, my first, I guess, career full-time job that I took a hold of was selling IT products, kind of like a, a middle uh, wear almost, and and that was very broad. That could be software, hardware. It was a lot of cold calling. Good company, good reputation was not the role for me. Sitting and calling up people on the phone all day and trying to talk about their general IT needs 
was not something I enjoyed. I fell into Dynamics accidentally as an end user. Uh, so it happened through someone in my family who worked for a company and recommended I look into it. That transition into a business analyst role in a UK facility who was using a very early legacy version of Dynamics. And I did that for about five or six years. So I re- started to really learn the ERP system, enjoy that side of it, enjoy having a more focused problem solving type of career versus something that was extremely broad. Uh, And after doing that for a a long time, I wanted to get into consulting because I had worked a lot with our partners and consultants. And that interested me just working with lots of different industries and clients and helping them learn the software and implement the software and find ways to either revitalize or just help do their job, for lack of a better word. Um, It was important to me to share that knowledge because it was not easy to find it, I would say, in the early days of Dynamics ERP. What, what, um, when you talked about industries then, what, what are the common industries you've worked across? And I suppose what industries do you enjoy the most to, to deploy the tech into? Yeah. So as an end user, I started out in primarily manufacturing roles and I really, like that. I liked the idea of a company coming up with a pro- product to solve a business need, even if that was a very niche industry. I wasn't familiar with the the industries we were in. We were selling to life sciences and university labs and research centers and defense industry. But I liked the thought of them coming up with ways to solve those those needs. So I've always been drawn to manufacturing. I really got my start actually in master planning, which is more, I guess, holistic in the supply chain side, but it was focused in really our production planning processes. And that is, I think, one thing that's been consistent throughout my career from an end user to a consultant and now as more of a manager and director. So I really like that, whether it's in manufacturing or even just straight distribution. We work with a lot of companies, whether they're 3PL distributors or just transportation companies that still need that type of consulting and and those types of solutions built for them. So I really love that aspect. I'm not a huge uh, finance guy, definitely. Um, But supply chain and manufacturing is where I like to lay my hat. And that exposes me to lots of fun companies and clients. Across your career, being able to see what the, the landscape of tech is out there, particularly around um, manufacturing. So whether it be um, SAP, Oracle, um, of course, we've got Dynamics and, and there's other products that are bespoke and built in these spaces as well. Why have you stuck with Dynamics? Why not, you know, yeah, you know, SAP's considered the, the big, the, the big um, gorilla of, of the space. And of course you've got Oracle and, and others. Why, why have you stuck with Dynamics? It's a really good question. I, I'd i be lying if I didn't say there's comfort in it, right? I know it, and that allows me to know I can hopefully succeed in this space, and I've learned a lot over the 15 years or so I've been in the dynamic space. So part of it is that. Part of it is having a place where I have a certain level of understanding and expertise. I think the other piece is 
Microsoft and their growth and their change. Uh, I'm not going to lie and say I know who Satya Nadella was when I got into Dynamics and his vision for the company and his role in Dynamics and what they're doing now, or even their just role as a business. You look at the things they've done with AI across the board, all those things are really exciting. I think to me, for some reason growing up, that Microsoft name was more important because as a person who maybe wasn't in business and IT and ERP, I knew it from being an end user on a computer in Office and Windows. So to me, that name always stood out. SAP didn't stand out. Oracle didn't stand out. IBM didn't stand out. So maybe there's a, a kind of a draw to it in that aspect, uh, in the nostalgia of it. But I have always found it growing and expanding. And I like that. And it really exposes me as a consultant and as a user of the product to all sorts of industries and spaces that I never thought I would. So um, sure, SAP and Oracle, I'm not going to knock them, but I, I've just always really liked this space. And I think it will continue to grow and expand. And, and I'm really excited about that. So over the last couple of years, what are the main industries you've worked in? Uh, a pretty wide range. My last major uh, role as a, an independent contributor, a solution architect, we worked in, in a pork manufacturing industry. That was really the first time I've worked specifically with somebody who does that full time as a manufacturer. Um, really, just food manufacturing. I came from more discrete assembly type manufacturing roles. So, getting into more of the processed food, pharmaceuticals, that's been a big change and growth area for. Both myself and us, I think, as we've seen across our clientele, in the supply chain, we deal with probably more 3PL logistics providers. I think in the past, I'd probably work more with manufacturers who distributed their own goods, now also working with a lot more 3PLs and companies just maybe doing one leg of the supply chain journey. So transitioning I don't know what 3PL means. So third-party logistics. So you might be a warehouse or transportation company and pharmaceutical or retail, they don't have the operation side, right? So they ship their goods to you or you go and get them, you stock them, and you ship them to their customers. That's a big growth area, especially when we look at some of the solutions Microsoft's building, making things that are standalone, making warehouse only standalone in Dynamics 365 ERP where you don't have to use it with financials or things they're doing in the cloud, the supply chain center, help us get those types of customers and companies into the dynamic space, which we weren't seeing previously. Are you actually, can you just explain to me the different types of manufacturing, how it kind of sits in the market? You mentioned discrete manufacturing. Then can you explain kind of what the common models are um, when it, when it comes to manufacturing? Sure. So I would say at least the way we like to explain it in the Microsoft ERP space and the way we position it as a, a provider, we have four major areas. So discrete would be things like assembly. I'm making a bike. I can take it apart. I know what part is what part and how much goes into it. Process would be your food and pharmaceuticals. It's more of a mixture. It's a formula. It's things that you can't disassemble and turn back into those unique things that made it holistically what it was, right? And that, that changes a lot. Uh, then we get into lean manufacturing. That could apply to 
all sorts of manufacturers, but that's more about the process, cutting down the non-value added activities, focusing on minimizing waste, focusing on one piece flow and pull to the customer. I would say the fourth, which we don't always necessarily position, but the fourth I would say would be projects-based manufacturing. Things you see with like contract manufacturers, uh, oil, uh, anybody who's doing contract type work really would use projects-based manufacturing where you might be doing discrete or process-based orders in the system, but everything is about long projects and billing those customers, right? If you're a, a construction type company and it's mostly based on projects, you might be looking at manufacturing like that. So those are typically the four buckets we see our customers in and they could be mixed. Yeah. Lean and discrete. Are they, I mean, they sounded pretty similar as in, I know lean is something that came out of Toyota, right? It was a Toyota way, I think originated. Um, but when you describe them, they sounded similar in a way is that you talk about building a bicycle. And of course I think of when I think lean, I think of Toyota. So therefore I think obviously building cars, um, it's building a product as such. Um, so how, how is it more that lean was that kind of, you know, out of Japan way of thinking about manufacturing or is it, is it quite different the way you'd set that up in dynamics? In dynamics, it's, definitely different if if we want to focus on that piece first so with discrete manufacturing you would use a term like production orders i have an order that i discreetly process so i have components items that i need to pick i have labor i need to consume and those get registered to the system with lean we're focusing on using kanbans for and those are going to be triggered in different ways right we might have the typical bin system where you use one and you take one and things like that or they might be event kanbans that are triggered by demand in real time so that setup is quite different the costing effects are quite different uh with lean we're using backflush costing you don't typically see these really granular variances at one order level you're seeing it at the holistic cell level so there's a lot of differences definitely in dynamics and then mostly in theory, for sure, and how you set up your processes, how you set up your machines, how you set up your material flow, that's going to be the biggest difference for sure. Yeah. Interesting. What changes, what have what kind of been the, the big moves that you've seen in the manufacturing space, whether it be the introduction of robotics, uh, whether it be... Um, you know, hyper automation coming to the process. What are, what are the big things that you're seeing or seen change in the in your career really in the space? I think those are definitely big pieces of it. Automation and whether that's decrementing headcount and automating something that's simple, or it's maybe adding automation to the systems, right? Maybe it has nothing to do with our people and our process lines, but there's a lot of back-end processing in manufacturing. If you're using dynamics for your ERP for finance, master planning, manufacturing warehouse, there's a lot of things that need to be processed. And for manufacturers who are growing, they might not be used to a lot of that. So being able to automate those things are really important for them. Asset management is a big growth area we've seen with our manufacturers being able to analyze their machines based on production output or production logged hours and feeding automation into that, feeding analytics 
into and out of that to be able to predict machine breakdowns because they can't afford to have a machine down for a day, a week, maybe even an hour, depending on their volume or what they're making. So those those are definitely huge growth areas. But with that, I think maintaining the right level of security and auditability with a lot of our manufacturers, if they're making things that are for government or something like that, there's a lot of regulations that they have. So it's it's a pretty difficult balance to maintain, I would say. Tell me about becoming an MVP. What was that journey for you? It's been an interesting one. I don't know if it was always a goal. Some years ago, I was introduced to now a colleague of mine uh, who I, I believe was on your show, uh, Kelly Kelly Kane at the time, uh, <laughs> Kelly Gustafson now. Mm-hmm. She had just become MVP for the first time. She's an MVP seven years running now. And her and my boss were both interested in me becoming an MVP because I had been spending a lot of time helping users through the forums. I got really involved with uh, dynamic communities in their regional and local events, their yearly conferences. I had started to share some things on social media, but at the time, it seemed like they had almost this minimum level of threshold. And they said, you have to blog, you have to blog multiple days a week, and that's the only way you're going to do it. And I just kind of laughed because, you know, I was like, I'm not just going to come up with arbitrary ideas and start blogging to win an award. So it was a rather long, strange journey. Kelly did nominate me a couple of years ago, and I did not get it. So it went from considering it, nominating me years later, and then being nominated again this year by someone else. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with, I'm in a role where I'm very, very lucky to be able to contribute a lot of my time to learning and sharing. It's part of my job. Uh, anyway. So I've benefited from that. And I was able to this year start doing a lot more things like my podcast and and really putting a lot into my YouTube channel. I did a, a series called Dynamics 365 A to Z, where I posted a video every day for the letter of the alphabet, uh, sharing things in D365 finance and operations. So uh, that really, I think, pushed <laughs> maybe the award for me this year, for sure. Well, what's your... You know, when it comes to content creation and, of course, uh, community contribution, is what spins your wheels the most? Is it is it YouTube? Is it podcasting? And by the way, what's the name of your podcast? Just so people can look it up and check it out. Uh, the name of the podcast is Dynamics Unplugged. Uh, the, the YouTube channel goes by the same as well. I would say I've I've definitely put more into YouTube so far. I'm more interested a little bit in the podcasting selfishly. I feel like it's a fun excuse to talk to friends and people who I find interesting. Uh, so I would like to do more of that, definitely. Tell me about tools of the trade. Um, and, uh, you know, folks listening to the show are aspiring MVPs. And um, sometimes it's just even those little technical things around how what's your workflow with so let, let's just unpack your workflow for uh, YouTube. For me, it was always tough. I, I'm someone who a lot of times overanalyzes things I want to post. So I always want to come up with either a theme for a, br- a short period of time, whether that's a week or a month, that I'm either going to focus on one topic and get really granular, 
or I'm going to do maybe broader topics, but they're going to be very structured and limited because I don't want it to just become a page of absolute absurdity where I have all various lengths and it can be tough to come up with a focus. So that's why, for example, I did the A to Z thing. I structured it beforehand. I came up with topical areas. Every day I had a plan, I was able to knock that out. For people who want to become an MVP, I think find an area that you are passionate about learning. That's always going to be your avenue for sharing. People are always willing to share what they learn. And if it's something yet you've had knowledge of 15, 20 years, you're likely to either forget about it or not maybe find an interesting reason to always write about it. So for me, Sometimes it's easier to start with the new stuff. What haven't I done? How can I share knowledge about that? And in turn, I'll learn about it and other people will learn about it. That's a good way I've seen people become MVPs is just sharing what they're doing and how they're learning and getting feedback and just getting smarter and better in return. I like it. I like it. Um, what software are you using to do, to do, your, to do your YouTubes? I haven't gotten too sophisticated yet. I've been using uh, mostly Teams meetings with myself first to record them and then editing them through ClipChamp. ClipChamp. Microsoft's ClipChamp, yeah. Yeah, I I just, I haven't had a lot of time to try new tools and and get fancy with my edits. (laughs) ClipChamp's good. I've done done well over, I think I've done over 70-odd hours in editing in ClipChamp. So it's a... It's a good, robust product. Um, yep. Um, I wish it handled audio a bit better, but as in allow me to export audio without exporting video, but uh, it's uh, it's all good in that respect. Hey, Drew, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Um, any last thoughts that you want to leave with the guests before I let you go? Just keep sharing your knowledge out there. Keep putting out positive information in the community. It's been great for me just hearing from people uh, that they've enjoyed shows like this and people sharing their information. And I thank you for having me on and giving me the chance to, to say hi to the community and always happy to, to help out. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If you like the show and want to be a supporter, check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guide. Thanks again and see you next time.